one. Boom, there it is, right on time. Ladies and gents, boys and boys girls, and girls, COVID will present to you some great real estate investing opportunities right after this. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. <laughs> Dude. I love it, dude. That was awesome, by the way. I, I, like, I dropped the fire intro. That was a pretty fire intro. I like it. That was pretty good, huh? Yeah. That was pretty See, good. I thought, dude, good. It just comes to you. Like, like, that little red light goes on, and then boom, we're at it. Boom, dude. there it is. Now well, you here we go. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, and man, I love Mondays. I know I'm a freak for that, but it's when we act to doing what we love most, which is talking to people and being of service to others. Our guest today is not from the same cloth. He's passionate about others reach their dreams and expect more out of their lives our awesome guest has a ton of experience in entrepreneurship and real estate investing dedicated to empowering that same entrepreneurial spirit so joining us today as a real estate investor the country of texas welcome to the show the real smith how are you guys doing today i did my bad my bad my bad Epic fail on my part. I was so epic. excited. I got I, I got, I got hooked up on the uh, epic country of Texas line. <laughs> it was the country, it's the country of Texas. I mean, you know. Jeff, how's it going, man? Truth. Fantastic. Fantastic. How are you guys? Dude, I am pumped. It's Monday. We're ready to rock and roll. Hell yeah. Uh, you got a great shirt. I mean. Yeah, great color shirt. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's a good thing. I got to be magic. the literal black sheep, so that's cool. You're one off. <laughs> one off. Jeff, dude, so much going on. Like, it depends on who you talk to uh, with with what's going on. I know uh, literally from a buyer's market, or, I mean, uh, 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 buying and selling on the market here in San Diego is hot. I mean, uh, houses, inventory goes, we don't have enough inventory, so houses go fast. Hot, right? It, it goes really quick. Um, prices are seem to be like endlessly going up. Interest rates are low. Uh, it's been It's been crazy. However, uh, I tend to read into a lot of other things. I listen to a lot of different uh, real estate professionals uh, in the mortgage space. I listen to professionals uh, in the real estate space, in the coaching space. And there's some things that have come uh, to fruition lately uh, and things that are kind of being forecasted that you don't really see in the mainstream media, which tells me that there's going to be a shift in the market sometime soon. <clears throat> and uh, it's perfect that I, that these types of things are 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 happening because I get to talk to you about preparing for some real estate investing and what what you see in the market. So let me give you a little bit of tidbit as to as to where I why I think the market is going to be shifting. Um, okay. Uh, I'll start off with first of all the forbearance period, right? So when COVID first hit, mm -hmm. we hit uh, um, we hit tremendous amounts of people losing their jobs, right? I mean, huge amounts compared to where yep. we've ever been ever in any type of economy. What did it cap out so, at like 30 million or something like that? It was, it was something ridiculous like that. Crazy. Things have come back dramatically, but we're still over 10% in unemployment. Now there's people in certain positions that have been losing their job, even if they got their job back, not necessarily having the same income as they had before, not necessarily having the same guarantees. 
Um, we're starting to see things where lenders are saying, yeah, you're pre-qualified. And then at the last minute, they're saying, you know what, you know that three and a half percent, we're actually going to need five or we're actually going to need 10 percent. They're putting in these buff- these buffers and these cushions in place because let's say, for example, you're going to buy a condo in a place that uh, 70% of the people haven't paid their HOA in the last few months. And so now instead of having that 3.5%, you actually have to kick down 5 or 10%. It's because you got to have reserves for your HOA, like all kinds of little weird things like that that are that are are kind of going to start shifting the eligibility for people to buy shifting the the market and i see it happening in the next like 6 6 months or so uh beginning probably beginning uh next year's first quarter maybe into second quarter i just i just see the forbearance period ending people shifting from a uh, not paying making their payment because they they were okay to now not being able to make their payment entering into short sales and foreclosures uh, what do you think? What's your what's your uh, ear to the ground telling you? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the job losses were in, it, for, unfortunately or fortunately, I, I think that m- most of the job losses that we experienced were in the hospitality industry so far, mm-hmm. um, whether it's hotels, restaurants, things like that. Um, it, the market is super hot from what I'm seeing and prices are holding steady if you're if you're south of like that affordable housing number which depending on your area like is whatever it may be it's it's dependent on where you're at geographically in the country um let's say for houston that may be three hundred fifty thousand and below and like those houses are not staying on the market at all um, from an inventory perspective i think nationwide usually uh, six months of inventory is like standard, right? You're, you're aware of retail real estate, how that flows. That That's a normal marketplace. I, I think last I checked, we were at three and a half months right now of inventory. So nationwide, the, the inventory is short, correct? And Absolutely. so I, I think where people are really going to, where you're going to see what you're talking about is in that, that middle tier of price point, and in, in San Diego, it's obviously different, but like if we stick with our Houston numbers of like 350, that next tier, like going from 350 to let's say 750 in houses, I, I think that's where you're going to see a stalemate in the market. And those houses are just going to sit a little bit longer. And I, I think you'll see some of what you're talking about with regards to the, the forbearances coming do and people struggling to restructure those. Although um, I've talked to a handful of people that have taken those forbearances and and they're actually offering a variety of resolutions to uh, to how they're going to do it this time it, to the point where they're even putting them on the back of the mortgage, um, which is helpful for people. But I mean, if you don't have any income, obviously it's not going to help, um, unfortunately. But uh, I, I mean, what you're saying, the, the other thing, the other factor that I would say that's playing a, a role in, in the space that I play in, which is investors, um, there, there's just a lot of money sitting out there. There's a lot of capital. I, I'm talking to a lot of people that the international money is still coming in, um, which they, they want to park it in real estate, obviously, because it's asset backed. and so. 
I, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a, a wrench in this. So on the one hand, yes, we have that international money coming in and, and yep. here's, here's my, here's my, uh, kind of common sense feel and approach to the real estate side. Right. Uh, I remember in 2000, uh, you know, three, 2004, 2005, 2006, market was super hot, very similar to what we're seeing right now, as far as increasing prices year over year, low inventory, uh, low interest rates, some of the very similar type things. Um, and affordability gets ridiculously crazy. And, you know, at some point, um, for me, I try to, tr I try to make it as simple as possible when it comes to explaining some of these metrics and when we see a shift in a, in a market and it, and it has to do with things like it, things like affordability. Can I afford to buy this place? Right. If I can't, if, if the price of the home is going up means income should be going up at a relatively similar rate, right? So that these things can catch up to to each other at some point, but incomes are not increasing at the same rate. As a matter of fact, they're actually going backwards. Cause like you said, a lot of the travel and hospitality businesses are losing. Mm. Uh, I mean, they're gone. Who knows if they're a lot of these restaurants are ever going to come back. 50 of them aren't. Basically, yeah. Uh, according to some statistics, 50% of them aren't. Right. So um, th to me, I, I'm just starting to see a lot of writing on the wall that that the growth that we have is not sustainable. And the, the fact that the mainstream, you know, media is saying how hot it is, how, you know, I, I warned people in, in 2008, I was like, look, if the gardener comes up to you and is like, real estate is hot right now and starts sharing, you know, real estate investing tips with you, you know, there's something going on here. It's a little bit different. Right. And I kind of well, see that we're in a very similar situation. The only difference is that lending hasn't been loosened. So like money's not really easy, easily accessible in the residential marketplace. If, if you're, if you're doing a primary residence, um, I mean, they, they did a hard stop on lending as far as I know for almost everything for about 90 days when this whole thing started. And there, there's still the restrictions that are on investor properties right now are still onerous. So, the stuff that's being bought is cash deals or private money that's going on. And then otherwise, I mean, if you're using lenders, it's, they, they want 65, 35 on the deals, which obviously most people can't come up with 35% down payments for investment properties. So I, it, while I tend to agree with you, I, I do agree with certain things that you're saying, which, which certainly, the fact that wages are not increasing at the same rate of housing pr prices is a hundred percent accurate. There's, there's no question that's been happening since before Forever. Two, uh, yeah, before <laughs> 2008. I mean, that goes back to, uh, it's a much longer discussion, but, but I think what you're, what you're alluding to is what's the issue that we're going to run up on, which is, um, the, the lack of true affordable housing that is going to affect more and more people as, as those those prices continue to climb. Um, so I mean, some that, people speculate. Yeah, would, wouldn't that, wouldn't that uh, affect the supply and demand curve, right? So if you have less and less buyers qualified to buy, should 
kind of start to begin to stabilize what we have. Uh, you know, the inventory will pop up a little more. You'll have more and more houses sitting on the market a little bit longer. And it's like you said, we're at about three, three and a half uh, months of inventory. A six month inventory reserve is, is a normal market. So we're still in a seller's market, but we're going to see a shift to a buyer side. Uh, and I wonder if we, see, if ever we see a shift to a buyer side, if ever we see something like that, is it going to be, is it going to be a, a a quick shift in the downward direction, or are we going to see you know extensions of things like extensions of forbearance? Uh, I can't see any politician saying we're going to take away forbearance in the near future. Like that's like political suicide almost. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think politicians the forbearance anyway. is going. Well, they're going to have to, the forbearance is going to have to go away. There's no question. Or there's going to be giant bank bailouts again, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's what led to 2008. But the, the, the difference is in this, this particular real estate recession, I mean, it's not a real estate recession, but the, this particular recession is banks are highly capitalized right now. And in 2007, 2008, they were highly leveraged. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's just a different financial position for the banks currently. But I mean, if you give 30, 40% of your clients it aren't paying for six months, like yeah. it flips it right to exactly. an extent. So so I mean, who knows? Who knows what's what's going to happen down the road? I like to I like to throw out some of these what ifs because it's always one of those things when you're investing in real estate, you plan for the worst, you, you plan for, you hope for the best, plan for the worst, right? And that's kind of the the situation that that I tend to look at. So let's talk a little bit about getting into different types of investments because, uh, you know, I'll be honest, to do a flip right now, I would be terrified to be caught with my pants down, you know, mm -hmm. in in any type of shift. Uh, but there's people out there doing it. Like literally I was showing properties today and as I'm going down this one, one street, I'm looking at two different, uh, properties that are being completely gutted and remodeled, go down the street. There's a couple other construction trucks. Like people are in there getting this type of work done. The fact that inventory is low is, is like, like blood in the water. Like let's get another one. Let's turn it around as fast as possible and let's get our return on investment like quick ASAP. Well, I mean, the, the flipping, that's how the flipping business works, my man. Like mm -hmm. they've, they've got to keep flipping or they're dead. I mean, they can't mm -hmm. stop because once you build those big organizations that flip 10 to 50 houses a month, like they're built on volume and like, that's the only way they can operate or they're not profitable. So they, they've got to run it red line no, the whole time yeah. it, until it, until it's done and the, the party's over. Like that's, <laughs> that's how, that's how they're structured, unfortunately, because of the tax structure on their businesses and things like that. Cause the pro the profitability that you see on HGTV is not what a true flipper gets for a flip. I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't tell you that every time you sell that it's considered like a product at a store. It's almost like you're at a liquor store selling products. You have a cost of goods, subtract out the cost of goods. You have a net profit and guess what? That's not long-term capital gains. You're, you're paying ordinary income tax on that and it gets, it gets pricey. You're yes. absolutely right. Exactly. After you do three or four houses in a year period, you're considered a broker. And so anybody doing more than that, is paying earned income tax rates. So in California, they're paying north of 40 
for every single flip. So that hundred thousand they made on that is not a hundred thousand. And so, I mean, you understand why they're doing it, but again, I, I mean, it goes back to the price points that are safe in that market. I would say mm-hmm. low end affordable housing at, at, is, is your bread and butter if you're flipping. Now they're hard as hell to find because there's a lot of people like down here. If, if you, if you're looking in that market and you're finding deals, like almost everything I'm seeing that is viable is off, like they're off market pocket deals coming to me. The ones that hit the MLS, like they, they don't stay on the market five days. It, yeah, if they're yeah. an actual decent, decent deal, not even like, holy shit, amazing deal. Like it, if they're okay, people will buy them. Um, but flipping <laughs> is the same way that the high end flippers, they're just they're playing Russian roulette, I think, because eventually, I mean, that's where the market's gonna contract. Yeah, you start seeing it on the higher end for sure, for sure. What are you guys? What are you guys uh, doing as far as your real estate investing strategies? What are you working on currently? Well, I I only play in buy and hold stuff, and so I do like Burr method, which if you're familiar, it. it I essentially flip it and hold it instead of flip it and sell it. I come in, I buy a property that's distressed. We completely remodel it, upgrade everything, all the mechanicals, everything else, so that there's no repairs for a period of time, 48, 60 months, keeps your CapEx down on your holding costs. So you you theoretically, if you've got decent tenants, don't get phone calls in the middle of the night about things being broken if you do the right things. Um, it's also a way to come in and capture equity right off the bat. So I, I generally try to come in, buy the property right, remodel it with the teams of guys that I've got, then refinance it. Well, I rent it first, then I refinance it. And once it's refinanced and stabilized, then, then you've got your cash on your true cash on cash for that property. And then you've got the equity capture that is unrealized until you exit that deal. So that's a lot of that's a lot of work uh, for for what kind of return are we looking at? Are we looking? Because I know I know when I was looking at at major companies like the like the Black Rocks of the world uh, coming in and buying up uh, long term rentals like that, they were looking for somewhere between like seven to eight percent return on investment, uh, and and that that was I mean. That's not very much, but they're buying a lot at a time for people like you and me to come in and do that kind of work for an 8% return. Uh, it gets kind of tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, people probably won't believe me. I try for 2020. So I, I try for 20% equity going in and 20% cash on cash in the first year. So and like that's, that- that's wow. definitely more doable, right? That's de- that's a, that's a strategy that you can survive on. Yeah, and if you're paying attention to it and you're overseeing the projects and like doing it as, and, and you've got teams of people that can do it. See, BlackRock had never played like those those funds had never come in and bought single family portfolios. They had never come in and bought small apartments or anything like that. They were dealing in A B. Um, apartment complexes and and then you you watch the numbers get suppressed so low in apartment complexes and cap rates go so low 
that they just couldn't make any money in it. So now, I, I mean, BlackRock came in, I've seen them buy portfolios of 15,000 to 80,000 houses at once. Um, mm. Just rental properties, single family home rental properties. And what they're doing is they're scaling the model. So if they could go out and buy a class A uh, apartment complex in, and they're only getting 2% or two, cap, two caps on multifamily, they can come in and get still 7 and 8%. And infrastructure necessary to maintain 15,000 single family homes, which is cost prohibitive, right? Because every door is located somewhere else in town. Every air conditioner is one air conditioning unit. Like, I mean, there's a reason people say, well, there's a reason Grant Cardone's like, don't ever buy one door at a time. And (laughs) yeah, because I mean, with, the the saying goes, you're 100% occupied or you're 0% occupied when you're in single family homes. So yeah, no you go to zero as soon as you're, yeah, exactly. And so yeah. the reason that I started with single family homes and still ha- still hold single family homes and still kind of play in that space is because of the long-term appreciation because they appreciate like crazy. Um but the small apartment complexes, or if you buy ones, twos, threes, not ones, but twos, threes, fours, you can do four and below in your personal name at the bank. And you can still get your like same benefits of a, a primary residence, like, and get the crazy low rates of two and a half percent or whatever they're doing right now. You can buy a quad and do that right now still because everything four and below is considered a single family home. Now, when you get into Mm -hmm. five and north of five, it's commercial lending. And so you're paying two points more, essentially not two points, but two percentage points more. Um, So those are closer to four and a half, five percent instead of like your threes you can get and you're really advantageous interest rates. Um, But the appreciation on the single family homes is where you can really build a lot of wealth as well if you've got a handful of them stacked because they're, I mean, the national average for appreciation is 6% a year. So, and and that, I mean, that plays out to an overall, a major, a bigger strategy. You're playing monopoly essentially, right? So you're, you're, you're buying up one, two, three, four unit properties. Um, Now it, Last I checked, Fannie Mae still lets you do like 10 loans, 10, 10 loans under your own personal name. But the cool thing about that is uh, once you build that portfolio of such, once you hit that appreciation rate, you can 1031 them, turn them around and not pay any of that capital gains tax and move up into, you know, buying 50 doors or 100 doors in an apartment complex, at which point yep. that that uh, that inc- that that equity goes to work for you. Which is which is a definitely a great strategy to, to have. It is more of a long term strategy, but it's it's something that anybody can get into it one property at a time. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it really is whatever you want to do as far as like your risk aversion and your tolerance as well, because you can have ten, and my wife can have ten. Mm-hmm. Like one of us has to hold our primary residence, and that counts as one of them. But I mean, you, we could have 19 
between the two of us. And if that's 19 quads, that's a boatload of doors right there. Mm-hmm. Math, the, math teacher. Math, math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but do the math, math teacher. Right? It's like a 80, what? No, 76? 76. 76. 76. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your primary residence. So you'd have and 77 if you... But, but, and, and that's um, a lot to manage though, right? Like I, I, I've yeah. heard a bunch of different strategies on, on management. Uh, some of them are, you know, self-managed strategies using things like home, home warranties and being, being able to utilize those types of, you know, pay the deductible and, and get the, get the things done or, or use property management companies. Uh, what do you tend to do is, as far as, uh, you know, maintenance wise, cause holding a ton of doors, I mean, I don't think you're at 77 doors or anything with the, the potentials there, but even, you know, for, for us managing five properties, for example, that gets like, you, you start going a little stir crazy when, when you start, what, this is going to cost what I thought I just paid that one on this one. No, that was the other one. Yeah. You know, like it, it gets yeah. a little nuts. No, we've got 38 right now and we self-manage about six of them and they're pretty much the it's definitely single family homes that we've had tenants in for a long time that we've owned for i mean we've done all that in two years i hopped back into real estate two years ago and so the the five or six that we're managing personally right now are just people that have lived with us for the whole two years been low maintenance um I'm looking to still turn everything into management once we turn those properties into new tenants. That's a you, go ahead, James. Going to say uh, those 38 properties are they? Where are they? How are they, how close to where you live? Those properties. Um, 27 of them are three and a half hours away from my house. And uh, 11 of them are within a 40-mile radius of where we live. Definitely. You, it's either way. Say that again? So it's definitely driving distance either way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we tend to not manage. Like, we, we tend to not self-manage. I've got a team of people that do almost everything. I mean, we've got, I've got everybody in my phone that takes care of everything from mowing the grass to handyman stuff to plumbing, electrical, HVAC, all of it. Um, now the number one tip I would say is if you're going to self-manage, like find that handyman as soon as you can, because that's who you always want to send out first because he's got the lowest mm -hmm. call cost. And because if you send out HVAC, you send out plumbing, stuff like that. Those guys are 85, hundred bucks an hour, hundred bucks to get the service call out there. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you don't want to go check it first to see what's going on, to see if it's just a little, like I just tightened up that hose on the back of your toilet and we're done. You're good. Um, yeah. <laughs> It, you 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 much it, it's way more palatable to send your handyman over there for 25 to 45 bucks for a service call and let him do that and save you an hour long drive round trip or whatever mm -hmm. than than sending out the the actual plumber for sure who's a part of your strategy send him anyway <laughs> <laughs> that's true 
was it part of your strategy to close? Um, no, no, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to owning properties that were not near at, at all. But Have you ever I would, in- I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 please finish. If, when we, when we would buy, if we were going to buy properties in different areas of the country, I would go in and make sure they were stabilized and I would stay there, not stay at the house, but I would stay in the area for the first however long it took a couple weeks to get a team built, get managed or management in place and interview different management companies because management companies are all over the place with regards to what they do, their fees, they charge who's used them in the past. I would ask for references because some of them nickel and dime you to death and like Mm -hmm. their fee will be, 50 bucks a month. And you're like, Whoa, that sounds fantastic for $50 a month. And then you get your line item receipt and it turns you're ending up paying $425 a month for one single door because they put in new ceiling fans every three weeks or whatever they do. Right. (laughs) So, and I'm not saying that they're nefarious by any means, but you do need to vet them like they're a member of your true team. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you when it comes right down to it, we're a real estate investor. Whether it's your handyman, your plumber, uh, your printer, whoever you've got work for you, your uh, property management company, that absolutely is a part of your team. You are building a network. You are building a team with every one of those things um, that you. Agreed. Yeah. Exactly. So what, uh, Jeff, I mean, I know we talked about this last time, but what are we going to find at the real Jeff Smith.com? <laughs> um, it's, it's just a website that I built for my actual mentoring company. I've done business consulting for three and a half years and uh, been mentoring businesses in different industries. I, I own a gym, which is what we talked about last time. I own a gym here in Houston as well. Been running or I've been I started that from scratch nine years ago and then we moved back into real estate about two years ago and we've got a couple companies with regards to real estate. My wife's um, a realtor as well. She's on the retail side. She doesn't do a lot of retail stuff. She mostly does our deals and then investor deals as well. So if it, the, the idea of the website is go out to the real submit your email address. Just, we'll start a conversation. Um, if you want to get on our list, we can send you deals. We'll vet your deals for if you're interested in certain types of properties, um, we'll shoot them your way, uh, whatever you're interested in. Basically, I also do, uh, real estate mentoring for mainly for beginners or people looking to break into the market. I've got an entire curriculum built that I can help them with and provide guidance throughout the process. So a lot of people think it's very daunting. And mm-hmm. it can be certainly it's intimidating. There's no question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I know what it is. You got to learn the, you got to learn the vocabulary. I tell people all the time, if you don't That's understand what people are saying to you, then you're never going to understand mm-hmm. what the process is. Like if you, if you can understand the vocabulary, you're already miles ahead, but it comes with like getting in there and, and like speaking it, or at least by osmosis, be right. around people who are speaking it and, and, 
you're gonna you're gonna get it. You're gonna catch up to him. Uh, you're right. It's daunting, but it's only daunting because you don't understand what's going on yet. Yet. And I, and I I already did that on this podcast. I said that I want twenty percent cash on cash, right? So mm-hmm. that means what you put out in the deal, how much cash actually comes out of your personal bank account, and then what is your ROI in the first year? And so ROIs return on investment. So like if if I put out, let's say twenty thousand dollars to purchase a property 20,000 of cash because I've, I've done it different ways, right? If you're going into your rehabbing, you can start with hard money. And what they'll do is they'll lend on the after repaired value of the house. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is if you purchase it right, it allows you to work the numbers so that your actual cash out of pocket is much lower than a standard investment mm-hmm. property, right? So let's say I put 20 out, I, I want $4,000 of return in the first year. That would meet the 20%, right? And so yep. that that's basically what I'm talking about on cash on cash on the side of that side of things. And whatever 20, comes out of pocket, you're going to get something back. And hopefully your goal is to get 20% of whatever you put back. That means that the rest went into, it doesn't matter. It could have gone into rehab. It could have gone into loan costs. It could have gone into acquisition. But the point is, whatever you come out of pocket, the return has to be about 20%. Yeah, and you want 20% of equity as well. So if that property that I put 20% out is, let's say, a $200,000 house, I would want to only owe one sixty on that going in based on the numbers because i want that forty thousand dollars of found equity in it that's mm. yeah and that's that's uh, that's a good structure that way you have uh some leeway when the market does shift because it will shift not everything goes up forever ladies and gents uh and uh and yeah what goes up will come down for a little while but you have enough equity to survive that on top of that you've gotten a good chunk of your cash back so over the next few years with the rental income profits you know your your uh, your cash flow on that should help recoup some of those funds and then when you do sell later on if you liquidate and sell you get that that 20% plus back and if you uh, if you bank on the appreciation and you do 1031 now you have a lot more uh, equity to buy bigger and better better things right yeah, yeah. You, you you brought up a good point as far as leverage goes. Like how how far do you want your portfolio leveraged? And we try to keep ours 65-35, somewhere around there, which so that we've got 35% equity in the whole portfolio or north of that. In, in each property, we do that individually as well to to ensure. And the reason that that is, is that the market swings and you've got to sell things off to mm-hmm. keep other mm-hmm. things alive, you can you can liquidate things quickly and not lose your ass, essentially, yeah. is yeah. is the idea. That in, in 2008, everybody had like 100% loans and had zero equity or they were upside down and you can't so sell those things. So yeah, if, if, you're to walk to, away. if you're trying to sell things real fast and you gotta come to the table with $50,000 from your bank account to get it done, there's not very many investors that are willing to do that very many times just to sell something, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's so. why the banks ended up taking so many back. That's why people just walked away because there was no point. They didn't have – I mean, 
You're right. It was it was a lot of different lending criteria back then. I, I mean, I remember. I mean, that's how we bought our first house. Literally, we fogged the mirror pretty much, and and here's the first and a second mortgage, and there you go. That's all you really need to buy this place. And they gave us the keys. We're like, what? Seriously? You're giving me keys? Another awesome. a, another another fun fact is when you enter into a financial situation like that, which we experienced in 2007, 2008. If you have a ton of equity in your house and you're one of those people that are trying to pay your mortgage off, like those are the first houses they're going to foreclose on because there's so much meat on the bone with those mm -hmm. houses. If you own a, a $300,000 house and you've got, and you only owe $50,000 on it still, the bank's going to take that way before they're going to take my house with $299,997 on the <laughs> note, right? So yeah. like, I, I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out there. Um, but like, they they actually do that as well because that that's a much better play for them because then they can turn around and they've got an upside of 250K on the property they just took from Joe and Susie who are trying to pay their house off. And if they sell it for 200 grand, they're making 150 out the door and they, it's just way easier to get rid of those properties because they're not in the business of owning real estate. No, they got to recapitalize. That's what that, that's what they're all about. Jeff, man, some interesting stuff today, dude. I love, I love talking, uh, you know, if, again, and nobody has a crystal ball. I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. Right. I mean, we're, I, I'm just speculating here. I'm, I'm trying to look at things and, and again, plan for plan, hope for the best and plan for the worst. Cause, uh, it, change is upon us, man. Like nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, trade wars with China and, you know, we have COVID going on, you know, the real estate market's super hot. I mean, you never know what the next trigger is going to be uh, for things to shift, and it's always good to hear uh, what other people are doing and, and how successful they're 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 uh, implementing their strategies or what struggles they're having with, because that's that's the key, right? That's where we learn. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's part of the reason that I like real estate as opposed to like investing in stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the stock market can swing overnight. You can wake up in the morning and you lost everything. However, yeah, <laughs> a, a bunch of forty percent of your money, right? Whereas real estate is a is a is slower train. It's like a train running down the tracks, and if you're paying attention, you've at least got some time to figure out what you're doing. Now, if you're overcapitalized or over leveraged, that not overcapitalized, but if you're over leveraged, then you, you're going to have some tough decisions to make, right? But I, I think in the current economic climate, if you're pressure testing your systems in the, you're saying, okay, let's increase our vacancy rate on our projections. Mm. Let's increase our, mm. let's, let's decrease our rent rolls by another 10% to hedge against all that. Can we still operate the portfolio? So, Increase your vacancy by 10 more percent, lower your rent roll by 10 more percent than your original usual projections, right? Because you're you're coming in with conservative estimates generally, most people do. Yeah. And now stress them out. Right. And and then if you if you pressure test them like that and then you keep your capital in the bank to 
deal with that for a period of time. Can you keep your properties for a year on -hmm. those numbers? And then you should be fine, right? So like when I talk about a train, it takes the market, the real estate market's gonna be like four to 12 months to adjust. So it's a much slower turn. They're not gonna yank down your pants in two seconds and you're done. So you've got, you've got that period to adjust as long as you're paying attention to what's going on and like staying involved to an extent. hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's, you're exactly right. You, you have time to make a, make a choice and there's no guarantee you're going to make the right choice, but you never know the fact that you're, that you're pressure testing those things. I mean, and we didn't even have time to really dive into it, but the the whole purpose of it oftentimes is to have that cash flow later on. And so that you, you're not worried about, you know, what, where your paycheck is going to come from because you've invested enough to have that cash flow coming in and knowing that a market isn't, is, is about to change or knowing what your max, uh, you know, your max level of, of vacancies can be or whatever the situation is, you have that strategy put in place. You're being proactive in whatever it is that you're doing. You would do that anyways with a budget and your paycheck, right? You would do that anyways with uh, pretty much anything that you're, you plan for. You should be doing that with your tax strategy, Right. Uh, and so th- this, there's no difference here. You, once you know the numbers and you actually, you know, have a forecast and you project, there shouldn't be very many surprises. Uh, catastrophic, you know, catastrophic events will happen every once in a while, but that's not the norm, right? That the norm is you can, you can weather the storm for a year. You can weather the storm for six months, whatever it is. Uh, things will adjust again and then you'll, you'll be in a good position. So, right. Absolutely. Dude, uh, Awesome. Awesome. Having another chat with you, Jeff. Thanks for coming on a second time, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Always. All right, ladies and gents, that's all we got for you guys. Have a happy Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Peace. Bye-bye. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the business bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.